Sunday and you're ready to go to church and you're ready to hear the preacher, Jonathan Edwards. You, you may be going to church for whatever reasons. I don't know how you come to church today. Maybe they were going to church out of duty. They felt they had to. Maybe they were going to church out of religion because they always had. Maybe they were going to church for all kinds of reasons. And they come to this place, to the church, to hear Jonathan Edwards speak. And he speaks on the topic of sinners in the hands of an angry God. It's a, not a light topic. Um, but Jonathan Edwards preaches this. And as he preaches it, such was the language that he used, such was the, the descent of the Holy Spirit on the people, such was the power of those words, that as he spoke those words, he couldn't even finish his sermon because people were crying out, what must I do to be saved? Such was the fear of God in their hearts. Such was the, the recognition of who God was and what their sin had done in their relationship to God, that they were so desperate and um, that they, they fell on their knees and cried out, what must I do to be saved? That sermon in America is kind of the, the great example of a sermon that was preached in an era they called the First Great Awakening. And the First Great Awakening happened in North America as well as in this country. And in, uh, in this country, one of the chief leaders of that First Great Awakening was John Wesley. And he said that this, that when they were in the presence of God, some dropped down as dead having no strength or appearance of life in them. Some burst out into strong cries and tears. Some exceedingly tremble and quake. And oh, that we in the church would grasp some of what this means, the, the desire, the, the coming into God's presence and knowing that you enter into this awesome holy God, being aware of who he is and how insignificant in many ways we are. And yet he welcomes us into his presence but we don't tread lightly, we come with fear, not anxiety, but the fear, the awesome respect of who God is, this wonderful God who welcomes us into his presence. And as we do so, we see how mighty and magnificent, as we read earlier in Revelation 4. And as we think about praise and worship, and as we enter into his presence, this idea that when we come into his presence and praise him, we are coming before this awesome God, this, this God who even the angels bow down. In Isaiah, Isaiah 6, it talks about the angels covering their faces. They can't even look at him. He's so magnificent, so wonderful. And yet we are welcomed into a relationship with him. And so we, we come with fear and trembling, knowing that we are his, but also knowing that we come before this God who is greater than us and this is kind of what we see in the story of Jehoshaphat and we're going to read again from 2 Chronicles 20 and this passage that's this amazing story of how God delivers the people of Judah from their enemies but in this time in this in this passage we've looked at how the enemies were coming against Jehoshaphat the enemies were there and he sought the Lord and as he sought the Lord the prophetic word was given that was said be still let God fight the battle he will win it for you. And then we pick up the story in verse 18 of 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And I'm going to read to verse 30. Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down in worship before the Lord. Then some Levites from the Kohathites and the Korahites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. Early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa 
As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah, and people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you will be successful. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord, for his love endures forever. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. The Ammonites and Moabites rose up against the men from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. After they finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped destroy one another. When the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert and looked towards the vast army, they saw only dead bodies lying on the ground. No one had escaped. So Jehoshaphat and his men went to carry off their plunder, and they found among them a great amount of equipment and clothing, and also articles of value, more than they could take away. There was so much plunder that it took three days to collect it. On the fourth day, they assembled in the Valley of Barakah, or Blessing, where they praised the Lord. This is why it is called the Valley of Barakah to this day. Then led by Jehoshaphat, all the men of Judah and Jerusalem returned joyfully to Jerusalem, for the Lord had given them cause to rejoice over their enemies. They entered Jerusalem and went to the temple of the Lord with harps and lyres and trumpets. The fear of God came on all the surrounding kingdoms when they heard how the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. And the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace, for his God had given him rest on every side. So we see here that the fear of the Lord fell on Jehoshaphat and all the people. And as we seek to be people who fear the Lord, who come into his presence and with respect and awe and wonder, that we can learn some things from Jehoshaphat and the, the people of Judah and how we can be people who truly fear the Lord. And the first thing we see from this passage that we can do as we fear the Lord is to think about our posture. We look at verse 18 and we see that the people of Judah, they are there in the courts of the temple. Jehoshaphat is there at the front and they're in the courts of the temple, which represents the presence of God. They are in the presence of God, having heard the prophetic word, and then they bow down before him. They bow in reverence, in awe, in worship, recognizing how small they are, recognizing where they have gone wrong, recognizing their own sin and repenting. They bow down in worship to see how and, and to show how great God is. And that's why I read that passage from Revelation 4 at the beginning, because we see throughout the Bible that when people are confronted by the presence of God, they bow down in worship. They bow down in wonder. They bow down for fear of the Lord. And they bow down to say, I am not worthy, but you are, Lord. And that's why we see the, the, the elders in Revelation 4 declare, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being they are recognizing that god is greater that he is the creator he is the sustainer of the universe he is the very lord of life he is all powerful all knowing he is everywhere and he is a god who is holy and judged and awesome and majestic he is to be feared and in his holy judgment we recognize that we deserve the death that our sin has caused. We deserve the separation from God. We deserve to be punished in the way that um, our sin has caused us to, 
to fall away from him. We deserve death. The Bible talks about the wages of sin being death. That's in Romans. The wages of our actions, the consequences mean that we deserve to die. But God isn't just a holy and just God. In his holy justice, he also sent Jesus. He is a God of love. And in his love, he sent Jesus. And the punishment that should have been ours, Jesus became our substitute. And the punishment, the sin, the death, the, the, very, what, the consequences of our action were laid on Jesus. And as they were laid on Jesus, we are set free. And we recognize that it was God who did that. It is God who poured out his judgment on Jesus, the judgment that should have been ours. And we can therefore have his life. We can be brought into the presence of God. We can boldly come before his throne because of Jesus. And we recognise this morning how small and insignificant we would be without Jesus. In fact, we would be dead. We're dead in our sins. But Jesus has raised us up and we can come boldly before him and we can worship him and we can bow before him and say that he is worthy because he has taken our place. And because he's worthy, we come before him in reverence and fear to bow and to say that he is Lord, he is greater than us. He has done everything that we need so that we can come into a relationship with him. That is who we are in Christ. Forgiven, ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven. We are saved and rescued to be in his presence forever. And so we can come and worship him for who he is, the God of glory seated on the throne and for what he's done in bringing us back into a relationship with him. And so we do bow before him in wonder, in love, in praise. And then we see in verse 19 that the, the Levites, the priests, they would praise the Lord, God of Israel, with voices loud and high. So you had some people posturing themselves in, in bowing before the Lord and, and the priests standing up in praise. And the praise is the de declaration it's not quiet. It's a declaration that God is the Lord, that he is worthy of our praise, that he is, we give thanks to him for his love endures forever. In Revelation 4, we see them declare that he is worthy, that he is holy, and that he, to him is all things. So our praise comes when we come with voices loud and high to declare to the rest of the world how great God is how great God is in, in who he is, but also what he's done for us in bringing us into a relationship with him, that we can enter his presence. That is our praise. Our praise is never silent. Our praise is declaring who he is to those around us, to that, even to the heavenly realms. Even if there's no one around us, we can praise him because we are praising him in the heavenly realms and joining with the angels saying that he is holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Peter reflects some of this when he writes in his first letter, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful life, that into his wonderful light. We are expressing our gratitude that he has taken us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. That what he's done in making us his special possession, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, he set us free to declare his praises. And that's what happens here 
in 2 Chronicles as Jehoshaphat and the people of Judah just declare his praises, who he is and what he's done because he is worthy. And this is before the victory that we see. They are declaring their gratitude in who God is and what he's already done for the people of Judah. And so I wonder today, do we worship him with a sense of awe and wonder? Or do we go through the motions? I'm sure there were people, as Jonathan Edwards preached that message in Enfield, Connecticut in 1741, who came just to go through the motions. And when they were hit by the presence of God, when they, they were convicted of their sin, suddenly they saw him for who he was and gazed in awe and wonder and would declare like Isaiah declared in Isaiah 6, Isaiah 6, woe is me for I am a man of unclean lips and I have seen the king. Do we come to God in that way, in awe and wonder? Do we praise him for who he is, even as we saw in that story that the Theobalds told, where in Acts 16, the, the Paul and Silas are in jail. It can't get much worse. They're probably facing death and they praise anyway. And they are declaring the praise around him, around them, because they know that as they do so, they are worshipping God there and in the heavenly realms. And even then, they are gazing on him in awe and wonder. Is that our experience as we come before him? So as we, as we look to fear the Lord and respect him and, and gaze upon him in awe and wonder, we look at our posture, whether we bow down or whether we stand and declare his praises. We come before him in reverence. But also we look at our belief. We look at the belief that Jehoshaphat and the people of Judah had. In verse 20, Jehoshaphat is uh, declaring to the people that we should believe in the word of God. We should believe in who God is. We should believe in what he's done and what he's going to do. And then he proves his belief in the very next word and very next verse where it says that Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army. The worshippers, the priests, they went out at the head of the army. That seems crazy, doesn't it? But Jehoshaphat is showing his belief in the words that God has spoken through the prophet. He is showing his belief that God can come through. He is the God who makes the difference by putting the worshippers first. Think about it. It happens throughout the Old Testament. Moses, as they walk along, the Ark of the Covenant goes first. Joshua, as they walk round the walls of Jericho, the Ark of the Covenant goes first. It happens throughout and it happens here that when they put God first, God at the head of the army, if you like, they recognise that it's not about the size of the army. It's actually about God. God plus one equals a majority and he always wins. God plus uh, any one of us, but God plus his people. And there is a victory to be had because Jehoshaphat believed God. He believed that God could make the difference. And when we talk about belief and faith, we can't help but look past the example of Abraham. Jehoshaphat in this way was like Abraham. And in Romans 4, we see a brilliant passage of how Abraham believed God. And Paul writes this in 18 verses 18 to 21 in Romans 4. 
against all hope. Abraham, in hope, believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. Abraham believed God, even though his circumstances said that God cannot come through here. Abraham, as good as dead, he was 100. Sarah was 90. There wasn't a chance of him being able to have a children, let alone go on to be a father of many, a father of an entire nation. And yet he believed God because God said it. Despite his circumstances, he knew that God would come through and he was able to deliver on his promises. That's the essence of belief. In fact, that's the essence of faith, that we believe God in what he has said. We believe God in what he says over us, not what we see in ourselves or what others see in us, that we believe God and that whatever we've done in the past, whatever our sin is, however we've let him down, we believe God in Jesus has set us free and we are in a relationship with him. And also that he overcomes the enemy on our behalf, that we, as in our relationship with Jesus, overcome what he, what our sin deserves. We overcome the enemy in all our all our doings, everything that we do, because God said so in Jesus. We declare when we believe against hope, as it says here. And Jehoshaphat declared when he believed against hope, when the enemies were surrounding him, that we that he could have the victory because God was on his side and God can make the difference. And as we come into God's presence on a daily basis, we recognise he is greater than our circumstances. And so I ask, do we believe that God is the one who makes the difference? Individually, do we believe that he is the one who's going to lead us through our circumstances? He is the one who is going to fight for us. He is the one who is going to come through for us. As a church in North Bushy, I said a couple of weeks ago that God is doing something foundational in us. And in our foundations, are we people who believe that God is the one who makes a difference? That as we put our worship first, he is the one who's going to change North Bushy, who's going to change us as a church, because without him, we are nothing. I became so aware of this at the beginning of lockdown earlier this year, where you're aware that most, a lot of our income, Helen and I, is a self-employed income. And I've not worked as a physio, self-employed, more or less since lockdown started. And Helen's, lockdown, Helen's work dried up as well. And so we were in a place where we were facing a significant shortfall in the income that we needed to kind of just get through uh, on a month-by-month -month basis. But we prayed before God. We asked him, what does he want us to do? And we decided to trust him in that time and ask him to come through. And, you know, in that time, we actually ended up being better off than had it not been locked down, partly because there was less to spend money on. But that was partly because God had, had engineered the circumstances. We put him first and the circumstances meant that we could trust God 
even when it didn't seem like we could. And as we trusted him, he came through for us. He made the difference. That's true on an individual level. That's also true on a church level as we gather together. If we believe in God, trust in who he is, come with respect and awe and say, God, you are on the throne. All of this is in your hands. We can trust that he makes a difference and he will come through for us. And then finally, from this story, we see the victory. And the victory wasn't because of what Jehoshaphat did on the battlefield. The victory was God's. The, the singers, the worshippers were there at the front and at the, at the front of the army. They didn't even have to fight because God confused the enemy. Ammon, Moab and the people of Mount Seir, they, they turned on each other and they defeated each other. And the people of Judah, they took the plunder. The victory alone was God's. And then we see in verse 29, this is a key verse. And the fear of God was in all the kingdoms of those countries when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. You see, Jehoshaphat knew that God was on his throne. The people of Judah knew that God was on his throne. And now the people around them, the, the very people who wanted to destroy Judah, they now knew that Yahweh the Lord was on his throne and that he is Lord. And so when we see the, the essence of the message of the whole Bible, the gospel, the good news, when that is in focus, when that is, that when that is put first, when we put Jesus first, we can see that the victory is won. And when the gospel is there, it is evident to all those around us. It's a challenge to us, isn't it? Because when God is truly placed on his throne, it must be seen. He must be seen by all those around us. That we see the works of God and we declare them. And people cannot help but say, this is a work of God. It's a challenge to us, isn't it? Because the gospel, the good news, is more than just a victory in, in a battle. This is a symbol of what God has done for us, that the victory alone is in Jesus on the cross, in setting us free, in bringing us back into a relationship with God. And that victory should be declared. And as it is declared, people must see that the gospel is in action. And we see the things that we see in Acts. Acts, this is what God will do when they have a people who are saved and set free and living by the Spirit, and seeing the signs and wonders and the salvation, because God is at the centre, and the gospel is right there, proving to people that God has set them free. The gospel has to be evident. And that's a challenge for us as a people, that we want to make the gospel evident to those around us. Not because we can do it, but because we are wholly submitted to what God has done putting our worship first at the front of the army to see him glorified and to see God's work and his purposes come in North Bushy and come in the surrounding area and come in this nation. And so we ask, are we existing to proclaim the wonders of God? Is that why we are here? Is that our desire to see God's wonders come down into our communities, into North Bushy, and to see people come to him and the church grow 
to represent who God is. And that's not only in the natural. It's not only what we say as we sing, the words into the air, if you like, but actually this is what we're doing in joining with the angels um, and declaring in the heavenlies that Jesus is on the throne. And we are declaring over the enemy that we are God's and we will not let anything that the enemy wants to do get in our way. We are proclaiming his victory as the elders did in Revelation 4, as the living creatures do in Revelation 4, as, as Paul and Silas did in Acts 16. They are declaring the victory they have in Jesus, regardless of the chains, regardless of the circumstances, that we live to proclaim who Jesus is and his victory in our lives and the victory that he has over the whole of our communities and everything that is going on. Is that how we exist? We, do we exist? to proclaim who God is and to stand and praise? Do we exist to stand in awe? And as we stand in awe of what God has done and who he is, he will have his way in our lives. You know, it's, it's certainly true for me that when I've taken time to praise and to worship God, regardless of the circumstances, just time um, with, with music on or without music, just declaring who he is, and, and declaring what he's done in my lives and declaring over my circumstances who he is. More than anything, that changes me because it changes my focus off the circumstances onto the God who could do something about my circumstances, onto the God who has already done enough for me to bring me into a relationship with him. And then more often than not, it also changes my circumstances. We can see breakthrough in areas. But when we do that individually, when we come together, there is power in that because we come with holy expectancy that when we praise and worship him, when we, when we celebrate him with our voices, with our bodies, as we, as we stand with our hands high or, or as we do actions even to a song or as we, as we use instruments, we come with that expectancy that we are meeting with the risen Lord and that he is worthy. He is greater than us. He is, he is the master, the king, the Lord. And we come before him and we praise him. And as we do so, that can make a difference in our circumstances. It changes us. It changes the circumstances. And it enables the Lord to be Lord of our lives and Lord of this church and Lord of everything that is on this earth so that he might be praised and we might see his kingdom come and his will done on this earth in our communities as it is in heaven. So we're going to come to a time of prayer and then we're going to, we're going to praise God together with, with some songs. We're going to praise him because he's worthy. We're going to praise him uh, however we feel led. And we're going to declare who he is. But as we do so, let's just take a moment just to reflect on who God is. His holiness, his, his mightiness, his magnificence, what he has done for us in Jesus, in his love. So let's just take a moment just to come before him. And, and prepare our hearts to praise him for he is worthy. Let's just be still before him for a moment.
Father, we declare this morning that you are worthy to receive all honour and glory and power. You hold the world in your hands. And yet you sent Jesus so that we can just come into your presence. And Lord, I pray that you'll teach us to, to fear your name. Teach us to gaze in awe and wonder. To know who you are and what you've done. And would you teach us to praise you for who you are. You are worthy to receive all that we have. And we want to praise you and worship you even now. And to declare who you are um, in our lives and in the circumstances around us. Help us to praise you and to, and to show the world how great you are. To bring your goodness, to bring your light into the dark places. And by declaring to the world how great you are. We love you and we worship you. We want to give you all the honour and praise that you deserve. Help us to do that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.